this sermon has a text, and it's found in the 11th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. So I'll let you turn to that. And I'll read verses 12 through 14 and 20 through 22. Verse 12 begins with these words. And on the next day when they had departed from Bethany, they being Jesus and His disciples, He became hungry and seeing at a distance a fig tree and leaf, He went to see if perhaps He would find anything on it. And when He came to it, He found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he answered and said to it, he answered and said to it. Um, You know what that means? It means that the fig tree said something. You ever heard a fig tree talk? Well, he answered it. He answered it, he answered and said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening. Verse 20. And as they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. And being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, behold the fig tree which you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered saying to them, have faith in God. The end is at hand and things are coming to a head. In fact, this will be the last week that Jesus will spend on earth. Israel has rejected their Messiah and the shadow of the cross is on the face of Jesus. And in the midst of this, he does a rather strange and severe thing. He cursed, he pronounced a curse on a fruitless fig tree and said, you'll never bear figs again. Has Jesus ever done something in your life so severe that you just couldn't believe that Jesus could do it at all? You know, Jesus oftentimes does things that are contrary to the way we think He will act. So severe and so contrary to the way we think He will act that we we don't even believe or we can't believe that it was Jesus who did it at all. Surely the Lord is not the source of that. Have you ever noticed that when you can't explain something, we explain it away? And that was exactly what happened in this story. To be frankly honest, this story just drives biblical scholars crazy. It just doesn't ring true And it's just not characteristic of what we understand about Jesus. You know, we think we have Him all figured out. You know, we just got Jesus all figured out. I mean, we can explain everything Jesus does with our explanation. And when we can't explain it, we deny it. And so if you'll turn sometimes to some Bible scholars or commentaries, when they come to this story, It's so uncharacteristic of Jesus that they'll say that it just really didn't happen. Um, As a matter of fact, there is one famous Bible scholar. If you have any commentaries in your library at all, you probably have his. If you want to check it today, he says, 
This is the most complex and difficult of all the stories in the Bible narrative, the gospel narrative. just doesn't ring true, and it's not worthy of Jesus. What is said here can be said of other wonder workers, but never of Jesus. He said, well, Jesus never used His power for Himself, so are we expected to believe that Jesus would blast a fig tree because it disappointed him when he was hungry. Jesus didn't do this. Well, come on, old wise scholar, he really did. And he had a reason for it. For Jesus never does anything without a divine reason in your life. And he never causes anything to happen or permits anything to happen that is unjust or unfair. And Jesus didn't curse this fig tree simply because there were no figs on it when he was hungry. He did it in order to teach his disciples a lesson. And verse 14 says, And the disciples heard it. And that's what he wanted them to do. And he pronounced the curse upon the fig tree because he had a lesson he wanted to teach his disciples and us. Now the fig tree represents Israel. And the leaves that the fig tree bore represent the externals of religion, rites and ceremonies and form and ritual, all the trappings of one's religious profession. And in the context, he talks about this magnificent temple they had erected to God, the externals of religion. And fruit, the fruit that was not there represents reality, one's personal relationship with the God of the temple. Now this illustration applies first of all and primarily to Israel. They had all the trappings of religion. They had all the externals of religious profession but they had no personal relationship with God. They, had a, they knew the temple of God, but they didn't know the God of the temple. Now there's nothing wrong with leaves. I suppose that a tree could not survive without leaves. Just as there is nothing wrong with religious externals, with the trappings of religion, but that's all Israel had, and that's what he condemned. And that's the problem that God always had with His people. They had the farm and they went through the motions, but they had no personal righteousness and no personal holiness. And I'm here to tell you that that's what hinders revival in the 20th century and quenches the Spirit of God in the modern church. We have the farm of religion and the externals and the trappings, but no vital personal relationship or walk with God. And God has only one attitude toward a nothing but leaves religion, and it's the same today. This is one. And that attitude is the one he reflected in the cursing of the fig tree. And that's what scares me. I don't suppose that God's changed his mind about how he feels toward a nothing but leaves religion. I suppose it's still the same. Dan Oglesby was pastor of the Caps Baptist Church, his little Baptist church south of Abilene, Texas, when I was a student at Hardin-Simmons. Now, Dan Oglesby was a mechanic, a diesel mechanic, in one of the big diesel shops there in Abilene until he was about 45 years old and he finally surrendered to preach. 
and he went to Hardin-Simmons and became the pastor of this little church. I heard him speak at a pastor's conference. This is what he said. He said, when God took me out from under that greasy Mack trucks and put me in, the, in, in Hardin-Simmons to, to study to be a preacher, I was really distressed about how little I knew about the New Testament. He said, that concerned me. Well, he said, now what bothers me is what I do know about the New Testament. What concerns me this morning is what I know about this parable. And that is that Jesus condemns a nothing but leaves external religious practice. He condemns nothing but leaves religion because it is deceitful in the first place, it is a lie, it is a hypocrite. Now verse 13 is what sends the scholars scurrying for some explanation. For it says that it was not the time for the figs. And the scholars say, well why would Jesus condemn a fruitless tree when it wasn't even the season for fruit to begin with. Why would Jesus do something like that? Well, that's just the point. Well, you see, the trees in those days, fig trees in those days, bore two uh, crops of fruit. The first crop was born before the leaves came on. Unlike our fruit trees today, if there were leaves, it was just obvious that the fruit had already been born because the fruit came prior to the leaves. And then they bore a crop of fruit while the leaves were on. So that what the fruit tree was saying is this, I know it's not the time for figs, but I've got figs anyway. My leaves testify, that's what the fig tree was saying, my leaves say that there are plenty of figs here. Come and get you some if you're hungry. It had the external evidence of fruit, but no fruit. Now this is what Jesus is saying. Here is Israel who makes this marvelous religious profession and has all the externals of religion, all the externals of a vital relationship with God, but no reality of such relationship. They are making promises they cannot produce. It's, hip, it's hypocrisy. It's a lie. Now Israel could worship with the best of them, I mean sing and pray with the best of them, but they had no, Israel had no vital personal relationship, no personal righteousness, no personal holiness. It was all external. Does that, does that sound like anybody that you know? I guess I could illustrate what Jesus condemned with marriage. Now marriage implies togetherness. But you know a lot of people live in marriage but they're really not together. They just kind of quarrel all the way through life from anniversary to anniversary. Kind of held together by children or their mutual insecurities. And in a similar way people can Religious people experienced, experienced spiritual defeat. Um, they live with God, but they do not know Him. 
they're not on speaking terms with him. In spite of the fact that the Holy Spirit indwells them, their knowledge of God is purely academic. In order for there to be wholeness in marriage, there must be a blending and a harmony of emotions and the bride and groom must learn how to integrate their directions and their desires for there to be an authentic marriage or relationship. Now they might put on a front to their friends that everything is just rosy and fine and they might go to the bridge parties, you know, quarreling in the car all the way to the party and back. But while they're at the party, they may be given this face, you know, like, um, honey, can I get you anything? No, sweetie, everything's fine. Are you doing all right? But down underneath the social veneer, there is no authentic relationship. Now, some folks can come to church like that. And they can sit in, the, in church and they wear this face that communicates that everything is fine between me and God. And all the time they're sitting there actually envious of the fact that they really don't know Him. And so they wear this mask and put on this face to the world that they have a vital relationship with God when all the time beneath the veneer there is no authentic relationship. Sound like anybody you know? And Jesus took a pencil and he drew a circle around us all when he told the parable. One thing on the outside, another thing on the inside. And Paul Turnier talks about that two-sided man who, who used to beat his son to get him to go to church and listen to the love of, sermon on the love of God. And he tells about the young girl that he, had, he counseled for months in psychotherapy whose father was a, who put on this veneer at church, but he was harsh and brutal and abusive at home. And she was so warped in her personality that it took months of psychotherapy to just get her straightened out. And she said to Paul Turnier, the thing that bothers me is not what my father has done to me and his two-sided personality, but the warped concept he has given me of Christianity. And that's what the Lord condemns. Profession, profession creates responsibility. Heard that in, I heard that in the early days of revival in, in America, in the West, they had what was called shouting committees. Now, a shouting committee was a group of folks that sat over here about where the college students are. Let me make you guys a shouting committee. And if anybody said amen in the service or shouted, you know, they shout a lot. You, you probably remember that. You've been in services where they just got all excited and somebody shouted. Well, if somebody said amen or somebody shouted, they, the shouting committee took their name down. And, and the next day they went through town investigating their life to see if they paid their bills or if they had any records against them, see if it measured up to the amen or the shout, you see. A friend of mine heard about that. He said, I started to start a shouting committee in my church. He said, only two problems with that. Nobody ever shouted or said amen. And I couldn't get anybody I thought would be qualified for the shouting committee. Well, that is a problem. Now, what Jesus is condemning is that a lot of times we come out with this 
veneer and this external of religion and there's nothing vital inside. Now if this illustration applies to Israel, what was the time of the figs? Watch this. What was the time of the figs? The time of the figs for Israel was the coming of the Messiah. It was the goal that history longed for and anticipated. The time of the figs was what history was moving toward. And now the Messiah was there. And Israel rejected her, rejected her Messiah. And Jesus is saying, God's people cannot be God's people and reject the king. And if you want to bring the illustration over and make it as fresh as this moment, it says this that your religion is nothing but leaves if Jesus is not king of your life, if he's not Lord. Your religion is nothing but leaves external practices if Jesus Christ does not rule your life today. He condemned a nothing but leaves religion because it was deceitful. He condemned a nothing religion, nothing but leaves religion because it was useless. Now why did God create that fig tree to begin with? In order that somebody might come along who was hot and, and tired and find shade underneath its branches? That's a good and noble reason, but that's not why the fig tree was created. Was it in order that somebody in the time of year when the leaves would turn would find beauty and, and thrill in the beauty of it? Not, that, that's a noble reason, but that's not why the fig tree was created. The fig tree was created in order that the fig tree might share its life and its fruit with others. And Jesus condemned it because it was useless. It, has, it was not fulfilling its intended creative purpose. Now why did God prepare and preserve Israel? Was it in order that Israel might be blessed by all the other nations? That's what Israel thought. But that's not why Israel was created, preserved and prepared. Israel was prepared and preserved in order that God might have someone, some nation through which he could declare his redemptive word to the world. And Israel rejected that plan and was useless. Now why has God created you and saved you? In order that you might be an extension of the divine presence, an expression of the divine purpose, and an exhibit of the divine power of God. And if you're not fulfilling that purpose and plan, you're, as far as God's concerned, of no value. Did I say that? Did I dare say that? Well, you read again that parable where Jesus gave the talents and he gave that man one talent and he buried it. And when the Lord came back, he said, you wicked and unprofitable word means useless servant. Uselessness always invites disaster. Now, Jesus was a Savior, but He wasn't a saver. Now, I need to spell that, S-A-V-E-R. He wasn't a Savior, but he, he was a Savior, but He wasn't a saver. I'm a saver. I hate to throw anything away. 
I was cleaning out my study this week, making room for some more books, and I got, un, I got underneath this sliding doors I've got in there and found all these old magazines that I've been hauling around with me forever. And I'll probably never read those things again, but I just can't throw them away. I mean, I got boxes over my garage that have um, tags on them that uh, when we moved from Iowa Park, Texas in 1970, still got the same tag on it. It's never been opened, those boxes. But I can't bear to throw that stuff away. I'm just, I'm a kind of a pack rat. And so we just kind of move those boxes around every year and just stack them over there and just kind of save them. I have a, a kind of a sympathetic attachment to, to useless things, I guess. Uh, now, Jesus is a Savior, but He does not have a sentimental attachment to that which is of no value. Now, I want to show you something awesome. If, if, if you've had some doubts about the seriousness of this word today, I want to show you something awesome. You turn sometime to the 13th chapter of Luke and you'll find Jesus telling the story about a man who had a fig tree that bore no fruit. And he said, fertilize it, dig around it, water it, and give it one more year to bear fruit. And if it doesn't, cut it down and throw it away. Why let it take up the ground? I have a feeling this morning that Southern Baptists, Baptists in, in Durant, Oklahoma, are the best thing God has. I'm saying that facetiously. <laughs> Didn't get a joke, laugh one. I have a feeling that we're the best things that God has in Durant, Oklahoma. But I also have another feeling that if you and I don't do God's will and God's work here in Durant, Oklahoma, God will get somebody else to do it. I've got a feeling that God has His hand in special blessing upon this church for some unique reason. I sense that from the very first Sunday I've been here. But I also have a strong conviction that if we're not willing to bear the fruit of God here, He'll just get somebody else to bear it. Why let it take up space, He said. Now I've got a good watch on. The purpose of this watch is to mark the time for me. Yeah, I do have a watch. Uh, for those of you who thought I never had, you know, never looked at it, I've got a watch. And I know that what this watch is to, you know, to show me the time of day. And I have on my watch 20 minutes till 12. I like this watch. It was given to me by my wife for my birthday, and I cherish it. But you know, if, that's, if that watch... Be, you know, something happened to the inside of it and it no longer could mark time. You know how long I'd keep that? I'd take it to the, to the jeweler and say, well, that's, you know, no good anymore. It's useless. It will never mark time again. You know how long I'd keep it after that? Not very long. I'd probably put it in a, in a, you know, in a drawer and forget it and put another watch on my wrist. I wouldn't wear this thing around on my wrist if it wouldn't tell time just because I liked it. Listen, God loves you, and that love is a stubborn love, and He keeps on loving you, but there is a time in the grace of God when He says, if you're not going to bear fruit, cut it down. It's useless. That's awesome. 
He cursed the fruitless fig tree in the third place because it was selfish. That fig tree was there to feed the hungry and it fed none. It was there to bless the destitute and it blessed none. It was there to minister to those who passed and it ministered not. It was selfish. It lived for itself. It lived for itself. And the Lord will not tolerate that. He did not make us for ourselves. Are you listening? He did not make us for ourselves. He made us for Himself and for others. And I'm convinced that we'll never ever live that unselfish life until we die to self. We have to die to self. St. Francis of Assisi died to self. And when he did, watch this, when he did, he fell in love with everything that God created, that God loved. He even preached to birds because he thought he, he considered them the sisters of God. And he called the sun his brother and the moon his sister. And he had such a, such a love, people were so special to him that the feeble-minded were his peers. And, the, and, and no matter how much the bullies brutalized him, he would not be intimidated by them because he saw them as special gifts from God with a special kind of relationship. Now, I don't know how he loved like that, but I've got a, a stinking suspicion that he didn't overlove himself. Do you? Now, let me wind this thing up by saying two things, by saying one thing and giving two subpoints under it. A nothing but leaves religion is a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing. In fact, it, must, it seems to me like that the Lord meant something about this when He said, I'd rather you be hot or cold. I'd rather for you not to have a profession than to have a profession and no reality. It's a dangerous thing because it demands, it demands the judgment of God. Now I will say two things about that, now I'll quit. The judgment of God upon a nothing but leaves religion is this. The sin becomes its own punishment. Now the sin of this tree was that it was unfruitful and it became unfruitful forever. You see, what Jesus did was just give the tree what it wanted. It didn't want to bear fruit, so Jesus said, okay, you will not bear fruit forever. For there is a principle of judgment, and that principle is this, that the sin becomes its own punishment. How many times have you read in the Scripture the Lord saying this, and He gave them up to the desires of their own heart. He gave them up to what they wanted. The greatest judgment of all is that. And the Scripture says that the backslider's life is full of his own ways. How true is the cliche, we have met the enemy and he is us. 
And Byron said it a little bit more poetically when he said, the thorns that I reap are of the trees that I planted. They tear me and I bleed. I should have known what fruit would spring from such seed. And I'm reminded of the guy out in East Texas who, who kept get, having these guys come in and hunt on his farm without permission, tearing down his fences, leaving his gates open, letting his cattle out. These rich doctors and, and lawyers and stuff from Dallas come out and, and uh, hunt on his place, not ask him about it. He said one time, he said, I decided I'd get me a dog, a watchdog. He, got, he went out to market and got him a big Bramer bull. He says, the best watchdog I ever had. He says, I just put that watchdog in the field and shut the gate. He said, one of those city folks would come out there, get in there to hunt. He said, man, that watchdog had sent him running. Best watchdog I ever had. Then he kind of dropped his head and kind of lamented. He said, I had to sell my watchdog. You know, what happened? He said, well, the Bramer called it. He said, the Bramer turned on me. So I never could teach that Bramer who was supposed to be in that pasture who wasn't. That's the way sin is. You can't domesticate it. It'll turn on you. You can't domesticate it. It will turn on you. If you, refused, if you refuse to live and love and share, then you'll lose the ability to love and share. If you refuse to sing, you'll lose the ability to sing. If you refuse to give, you'll lose the ability to give. If you refuse to witness, you lose the ability to witness. Sin becomes its own punishment. It'll turn on you. And the scripture says that that tree was dried up from the roots. Now the externals of this religion was shallow and superficial. It was external, shallow and superficial. But the judgment and the punishment of an external religion, a nothing but leaves religion, goes all the way to the roots. And I know some people this morning whose lives are dried up from the roots. Their spring of joy has dried up. Their spring of love has dried up. Their river of peace has dried up. And their life is withered and barren like a desert. For the judgment of God goes all the way to the root. But I'm glad that Jesus said, have faith in God. And I wouldn't finish this sermon that's so awesome and austere and serious without giving word of hope for what Jesus said to these disciples when they saw that withered tree judged from the root. He said, if you have a shallow, superficial religion that's just externals, just profession, have faith in God 
That is, turn your life over to God. Live in constant dependence upon Him. Live in vital trust to Him. And more than just leaves will be the result of it. Do you want fruit in your life? Then have faith in God. Live in vital dependence on Him. Draw your life from Him. And your life will bear much fruit. Let's pray together. Father, we've come to the moment where we decide on what we've heard from Thee. And I pray, dear Lord, that You'll bring us to a reality the reality about our own needs. Help us to be honest this morning. Do we really have personal righteousness, personal relationship, personal holiness, a walk with God? Or is it just external trap trappings? God, are we fulfilling the divine plan are we living only for self? God, bring us to a reality about ourselves and to a reality, to a religious reality, a vital relationship. Help us this morning to have the courage, the willingness, the grace to have faith in God. Because I pray it in Jesus' name. Now, there are two kinds, three kinds of, of invitations. The one invitation is for you to come, placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, is this profession just external, or do you have a vital relationship with God? Have you ever really trusted Christ? Have you ever really turned from sin and in a moment which we call conversion or new birth or redemption, whatever those terms are, have you trusted Christ? We ask you to come this morning, even if you are a church member, but no vital relationship, to come trusting Jesus Christ. The second invitation is for you to consider, is your life bearing fruit or leaves? Is there something genuine or is it just words and ritual and form and motion would you come to say I need to get my life right with God I need to rededicate my life is there a need this morning for someone to join the church maybe to place your life here a college student because God has led you to Durant would you do what God wants you to do that's what we're asking would you do it right now while we stand and our choir sing our invitation? Would you come?